Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Hello again, friends. Welcome to yet another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. I have with me my conversation partner, Nicholas, a.k.a. Nico, a.k.a. Nikki V. How's it going, Nikki? Doing great, Frankie V. How about you? Am I? Am I? Well, we're going to talk about God's love, particularly as it relates to living in the kingdom of God and the aspect of how to receive God's love, how to embrace it, and how to live in his loving care. And the Magna Carta of the kingdom in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have a statement by Jesus as he's teaching on the kingdom and what living in the kingdom of God looks like, where he says in chapter 5, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whosoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so here the Lord is talking about the love and care of God the Father, not just for the believer, not just for his people, but also for those who are in the world, those who are blind and lost. And then in chapter 6, where he talks about worry, which we covered in a previous episode, he tells us that God cares for the lilies of the field. He cares for the birds of the air. And how much more valuable are we to God than those things? One of the things I tried to do in the book, Insurgents, is to start it out by revealing the love of God in Jesus Christ, particularly the love of God in Jesus Christ for us for his people, for those who are called to live the kingdom life. And I know, Nick, you have written about this in a little booklet called Loved Period. And so I want to explore this a bit just to encourage our listeners about how to live in the care of God, how to live in his love, how to receive and embrace that love. Because at the end of the day, it's his love that compels us to follow him. It's his love that causes us to surrender to him is his love that causes us to love him for john said we love him because he first loved us so why don't you talk a little bit about this matter of receiving god's love being confident in that love embracing that love as it comes to living in the kingdom of god in my experience of being a christian for 30 plus years um, it's one of the things that becomes readily apparent is that Many of God's people struggle with understanding and 
living in the reality of God's love for them. There's a lot of competitors to that. There is the ever-present needing to earn his love, his approval. Um, that, that seems to dog a lot of Christians. Uh, there's the not understanding the depth of his love and the depth of his patience so that he kind of runs out. You know, we, mm. we kind of project onto God human and especially fallen human traits, right. particularly ones that we struggle with, and we kind of project those onto God and uh, shrink him down to our size, and then we've got a God that we can understand but isn't very enjoyable to follow. So I think one of the ways to overcome that, you know, we're constantly, when you step outside on a sunny day, you are, you are receiving the rays of the sunlight without having to do anything. They're just there beaming on you. You can step into a tree where there's shade, you know, into the shadow of a tree where there's shade, and no longer will you be necessarily sensing the sunlight and the rays hitting your skin. You won't be feeling the sun. It's still there shining, yes. but you're just in a place where you can't feel it. And I think that's also a place where a lot of Christians live. And so while the Lord is ever loving on us, there has to be this consent on our part to receive it. And um, like anything else in the Christian life, there is a measure of faith that is absolutely critical to walking in the love of God and knowing the love of God. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you're not feeling loved, then you're just having a feeling of not being loved. But that's not the reality right. of what is happening from the divine perspective. Mm -hmm. And so this actually can become at times, and for a season perhaps, when you're starting out and venturing down this road, this can become a fight of faith to believe that the Lord loves you and, and that you're going through failures and you're still taking the stand that he loves you. And so for me, there was a lot of declarations involved, a lot of declaring, a lot of repeating things out loud to affirm not my circumstances, uh, not my feelings, not my thoughts, but the reality of what God's word says right. about his love for me. So I think there's an element of warfare even sometimes to this when we're first starting down this road of becoming established and planted and rooted and grounded in the love of God. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, quote-unquote, Jesus says, What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? I look at that passage, and what it reminds me of is that Jesus here is showing us a portrait of God's love for us by looking at earthly fallen sinful quote-unquote evil human beings and saying even fallen parents provided they're not too evil <laughs> are going to give good gifts to their children upon asking how much more right is God who is love going to do the same for his children. And so what this passage has done for me is it's it's helped me to lock into a reality that helps me to be reminded of the love of God. 
And it goes like this. Think of the person on earth who loves you the most, right? Some people that could be their spouse. Some people it could be their mother, right? You fill in the blank. Who is that person? And you know they love you. There's no question about it. You know that they would give you the shirt off their back if you needed it. You know that they would move heaven and earth if you were in a situation where you needed help, even to their own detriment. Well, I look at that in my own life. I have a person who I look at, and it's a tangible, visible, vivid, touchable example to me that if this person loves me so much, how much more does God love me? And so if I'm ever struggling with the love of God, maybe I'm not feeling it, maybe I'm questioning it, maybe I'm in a situation where I'm wondering, where are you, Lord? <laughs> Have you gone to sleep here? Have you gone on vacation? Do you not care, right? Which is something that was said to Jesus by his disciples mm -hmm. and by Martha after Lazarus had died. I can think of this person, recall them to mind, and then say, ah, I know the Lord loves me because this person loves me so much. Right. And that love only comes from God. And they are a living example and a reminder of God's love for me because if they can love me like they do, how much more does the Lord love me? Mm -hmm. And that's really helpful. And so yeah, I would encourage people who, who struggle with this, just think of the person who loves you the most and then know God loves you even more. That's really good. One of the events in the Gospels that profoundly impacted my view of God and this whole issue of his love, and in particular, his love for me, was the scene where Jesus Christ is finally coming out into the public eye. And the scene is the Jordan River, and Jesus arrives to the place where, where his cousin John has been thundering about the coming of the kingdom of God and the Messiah and repentance of sins and immersing people in water and all of that. And one day Jesus of Nazareth shows up and suddenly out of the heavens a voice declares, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Not even with whom. And I really take issue with that one little tiny seemingly insignificant word. He doesn't say I'm pleased with him. When we're pleased with someone, that is usually behaviorally connected. Right. And while I'm sure that the Father was also pleased with Jesus Christ, he doesn't use that language there. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom yeah. I am well pleased. In other words, the essence of what he is and who he is is pleasing to me. That's astounding to me for several reasons. Because first of all, with, with that proclamation, God has just broken over 400 years of, it, of at least recorded silence. Mm. And furthermore, he's revealed for the first time ever that he has a son. <laughs> yeah. Because he refers to him as his son. He doesn't say that my beloved servant, or this is your savior, or this is your king, or this is your lord, or this is my beloved son. 
Mm. So that that pleasure and that love that he's expressing is tied up in the fact that this is his son, not a servant. So Jesus is a man walking on the earth. Now, I know he's fully God and fully man simultaneously, but he is fully a man who has just been declared to have the full approval of God. So that's kind of, that's kind of radical. Um, he's loved. He's not only loved, he's beloved, beloved. Mm. He's the beloved. The loved and beloved. I think beloved is even a notch higher in intensity than just loved. Translations say much loved. Much loved. There you go. I mean, God's attempting to emphasize mm-hmm. the love, the degree of love. Something that men had been striving for, the approval mm. and the and God the Father being pleased for millennia is now right there being uttered at that location, at that moment, by a Jewish man, a carpenter with dust-covered feet and calluses on his hands, you know, Mm -hmm. sweating at being a day laborer. But here's the real kicker for me. The timing of God's announcement. God declares his love, his pleasure, his total approval of Jesus before Jesus has started any public service, any ministry, any anything that could be con- construed as service towards God. Mm. And I think we need to really pause and take that reality in of not just what God's saying, but when he says it. That should be a, a bit of a death blow to the whole concept of earning God's love and approval. Because let's, let's just look at a moment for the things that Jesus hasn't done when God makes that mm-hmm. statement. Jesus has not preached one message yet. He hasn't won anybody to the Lord mm. yet. He doesn't have a single follower or a disciple when the Father made that statement. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't raised anyone from the dead. He hasn't healed anybody. Hasn't cast out a demon. Hasn't died on the cross yet. Hasn't risen from the dead. Hasn't really done anything. And yet the Father chooses that precise moment to break verbally back into human history and declare his love and his pleasure Mm. for this man, Jesus. That's poignant. Mm -hmm. That ought to disrupt everything that we think about the love of God in terms of it being connected to our behavior, to our conduct, to our potential, to anything. To our service, mainly. Yes. And this is a great message for people who are seeking validation from God by what they do for him right ministry wise right and and you and I have met so many Christians who you know are part of this cascade of burned out souls who have given their lives to Christian work whether it's in a church serving 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 right or a ministry giving 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 and without realizing it the inward motivation is I want God to be pleased with me I want God to love me I want God to be happy with me and it's all tied into what they're doing for him it's a seeking of validation and this message here that you're sharing blows that to bits right 
And the day that that happens to you, if you are in ministry and you do have that motive, whether it's conscious or more subterranean, will be one of the highlights of your entire Christian life. It will also be one of the most devastating days in your life because your service for God will be blown to smithereens. <laughs> but you'll also be liberated for the Absolutely. rest of your life. Great and you will, you will move mm. from working for God to working with him. Right. And that's a huge, I mean, it's only one word, but the, those two things are universes apart. And let's face it, Frank, if you or I, with that service mentality, were God, we would not have made a declaration about him being our beloved son only except after some monumental event like the transfiguration or after he had raised Lazarus from the dead right. or the Sermon on the Mount. That's, right. some, that, that's when we would have broken in. If, if that's where God's heart and mind were focused at in terms of approving us, then it would have had to have been after some incredible event like that. But that's not where the Father chooses to break in. He breaks in before anything has happened. And why? Because... God doesn't just merely love. It's not an activity that he's really good at. And I think a lot of times this is one of those fallen human things. As long as we're doing okay, God's releasing his love toward us and his approval. Mm -hmm. But God's not in the business of loving. He, it's not something he's really good at doing. God loves because he is love yes. and he can do no other. Yes. And until that reality climbs inside of you and saturates the darkest corners of your being, you really cannot be set free from this concept of a performance-based relationship with the Lord. It's not based on our service for him. It's not based on our potential. He doesn't love because he has to. He doesn't love because it's the Christian thing to do. Nor does he love even because he chooses to. He loves because he can't be something other than what he is, mm -hmm. which happens to be love. I love the passage in Romans 8 at the end, how, how Paul closes it with this crescendo ending in this high climax about the love of God. And Romans 8 is, is an incredible chapter. If you have never read it carefully and slowly and right. meditatively, you, you might want to do that someday because all of the themes that are in scripture in the narrative of the bible can be found in this chapter it's like a condensation of god's eternal purpose his kingdom his ultimate intention all wrapped up in this one glorious piece of writing and at the end he begins to question the universe basically asking what shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not then with him also freely give us all things god is love god so loved the world he gave so there's that giving element in god's love and then he ends with who shall separate us from the love of god mm. right who shall separate us from the love of Christ is how he starts it. He ends it with the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, of course, is the human face of God. He rattles off this list. 
shall tribulation. So whatever trial you're going through, that's not going to separate you from his love. Or distress. Amen. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mm. And then he takes it to a higher degree. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. That would include you. That would include me. Right. We cannot separate ourselves from the love of God. No created right. thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there we have incredible security. We have incredible assurance. But it doesn't matter what we feel. We know that God loves us. Period. Loved period. Yeah, and I, I think another angle for this for me that's helpful to me is Paul repeatedly in his letters, and, and somebody counted once, it wasn't me, but Paul repeatedly is using the phrase, in Christ, in him, mm. oh, like well over 150 times. And God the Father has taken me and you and plunged us in to the mm. beloved Son. Mm. And we're now lost in him. And, and found in him also at the same yes. time. And so if God the Father is well pleased and, and the Son is much loved, and where are we located at geographically in the spiritual realm? We're located in Christ. Mm-hmm. We're in him. Paul pounds that and pounds that truth. Well, if we're in him, then we are, by virtue of the fact that we are now located in Christ, we are then caught in that torrential crossfire of love that is going on between the Father and the Son. That is spilling onto us as well. So being in Christ was an ingenious move by God the Father, and it pleased him to place us there. And it pleased Jesus Christ to receive us into himself Mm. so that we might be where he is and that we might enjoy that fellowship with the Father and that oneness with the Father that he's enjoying. So we're we're greatly loved also. We were greatly sought out and sought after because we were greatly loved and then we were brought into that glorious yes. relationship of love that is constantly mm. flowing back and forth between the Father and the Son. Yes, that is the truth. That is reality. The trick is, the rub is, <laughs> that there are times in our lives where we may not feel, we may not sense, we have a hard time believing that God does in fact love us. Even though we can read these passages to get it across in a way where we actually latch on to it can be difficult given our dysfunction, given our situations, given our uh, mental state. So here's, a, here's another practical thing that's helped me. And this is more recent, actually. Beyond finding that person who loves you the most on earth and then seeing that as a reflection of God's love being even greater for you is this business of coincidences. All right. Now, There are many Christians who would say, 
God speaks to me and I hear him clearly and I know his voice. And But there are other Christians who would say, yeah, I believe the Lord speaks to me, but I'm not really sure it's him. It might be me. I, I can't really say with 100% certainty that the Lord speaks to me. I believe he does, but I'm not quite sure. But there is something that I think every believer can relate to, regardless of your experience or your views on God speaking. And that is this issue of coincidence. And I never paid attention to coincidences, Nick. I, you know, if something happened and I had deja vu all over again because it happened again through someone else or there was a confirmation or something, I, I sort of just ignored it, you know, write it off and didn't pay attention. You know, one of the things I, I said in a, in a book, Jesus Speaks, that's all about hearing and recognizing the voice of the Lord, is that for those of us who are believers, every bush is burning. We just have to pay attention. Mm. And we just, we so often don't pay attention, so we miss the Lord speaking to us. But this quote is attributed to Albert Einstein, and it is this Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Mm. And I'll give you an example. I'm a writer, for better or worse, and there have been times where I'm writing either a letter or I'm writing an article or I'm writing a chapter in a book and all of a sudden my computer freezes or, <laughs> or the power goes out <clears throat> or the battery dies. And I used to look at that and say, oh, isn't that unfortunate, frustrated? Uh, I have to rewrite that because it didn't save. But now when that happens, I pay attention. Hmm. And in every single case, every single case on reflecting back, I know the Lord was saving me from putting my head in the noose. Mm. That what I was writing was not from him. It was from me. <laughs> and I turn and I thank the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for letting my computer die and not having it autosave. And sometimes it's uncanny because it should autosave and it doesn't. That is an example of God remaining anonymous. But it's also an example of his care and love for us. Right. And the same thing with coincidences. You know, there have been many, many times, especially over the last several months, I'll be in a conversation with someone about a particular matter. I may be talking to you about it. And you'll use a term. You may be praying and you'll use the word rubble in the prayer. Then I'll be talking to someone else, a person you don't even know. And we'll be talking about the same issue. And they will say something that's very close to what you prayed. And they will also use the word rubble. Now, that's just one example. Mm -hmm. This has happened so many times over and over again with independent parties. Because I've learned to pay attention, I see this as God speaking to me, God caring for me, God saying, hey, I love you. I care about you. I got this. I'm handling it. Now, before in the past, I would just ignore it, you know, because it didn't come with a thus saith the Lord. But coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, and it is another sign that our Father does in fact love us and is caring for us. And so we can be completely secure in that, but it's another signpost. So I would say to you who are listening, pay attention to the coincidences. Yeah. Don't just write it off as you made a mistake or you had bad luck or you were unfortunate. Look at it carefully because I think you will see the hand of God behind it most of the time. Yeah. Well, as, as the rabbis like to say, coincidence is not a kosher word. Um, there are no coincidences. Yeah. You know, and like you were saying, um, 
sometimes we we are expecting these types of communications of love and care from God in these you know Fourth of July drama fireworks kind of way, and He is often coming to us in these more subtle ways and communicating to us in these more subtle or pedestrian ways and we're overlooking them because we're we're expecting the you know Fireworks. sky writing in the in the sky with a yeah. big message and it's not coming that way i mean it could certainly but mm. god seems to like the hiding of his power and the as, mm. as you were saying the way that he prefers to come to us sometimes is that way another aspect and it and it's a little bit of a shifting gears is this idea of you know we're talking about love and we're we're talking also about the kingdom yeah and for me i need in order for me to maintain this type of posture and reality about the love of god for me in my life i can't always lift myself to that place and I'm dependent on brothers and sisters oh, yes. to remind me mm. of the realities of God's love for yes. me to make those declarations to quote those particular scriptures to me to share those experiences or stories with me so that I can be buoyed when I need that and then I in my own turn do the same for my brothers and sisters so whether it's a glorious kind of ecclesia that we would like to see or whether it's a kingdom cell like you write right. about in your book and it might be one other person yes. sitting across the, right. the table or the couch from me or three other people or mm. wh whatever that is those other people in my life help to keep me buoyed in the love of God because my mind gets assailed and I I'm out in the world working and I'm getting uh, a lot of messages contrary to the unconditional love of God out there in the world. And some of that starts to seep in and saturate and affect and weeds grow in my mind about the, you know, the love of God. And so as you and I are sitting here having this conversation, you know, there's landscaping going on in my heart, in my spirit, in my, in my brain, I'm getting reminded, my mind's being renewed. So it's, it's really hard to underemphasize the importance of these kingdom cells that you've written about and insurgents and, and the ecclesia in general that, um, and I was thinking of this passage in Jude when I was, when I was uh, thinking of the kingdom cells and things like that, where Jude says, but you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, yeah. waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So it doesn't say he didn't write keeping yourself in the love of God as if it's some kind of individual solo, solo activity that I have to do by myself. I may do that at times, and I do. I preach the gospel to myself sometimes if necessary. Mm -hmm. I say things out loud. Yes. If I'm uh, alone in the car or I'm, you know, in the wherever and I'm uh, getting ready for work or whatever, I'm reminding myself about the reality of, of the love of God. But sometimes I might be sitting across from a brother or a couple of brothers or a room full of brothers and sisters or whatever it is. And what we are doing is we are building ourselves up mm. on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping ourselves and one another. 
in the love of God. So that's another component to this is I'm not left to my own devices to keep myself afloat in this matter of the love of God. I do have the other members of his body. So if I'm down and somebody else isn't down, thank God they're not in the same exact season I'm in and they can help to keep me in the factual parts of God's love rather than Mm -hmm. me running off in some kind of craziness and and then i do the same for them so we are keeping ourselves together in the love of god so there's that element as well you know this just occurred to me two things i'm thinking of jesus himself who was very clear on the love of god but even in his darkest hours there's two darkest hours he had probably the darkest was gethsemane right and he had with him the 12 he brought them with him Mm -hmm. to share that experience And, of course, he took three out of the 12 to share it more intimately. And then, of course, he was alone when he threw himself on that rock. But he wanted them with him to share that burden, particularly the three, Peter, James, and John. So even he needed others. But then I think about the wilderness. And that was another dark time for him. I mean, think about it. 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything. And being tempted by the enemy. Mm -hmm. Now, he didn't have any human beings with him, but the scripture makes very clear, and it emphasizes this, that he wasn't alone. And I'm not talking about the father. I'm talking about the animals. Mm. It says the animals were there with him. Wow. So he had companionship from the wild animals. And therein is another example of the love of God that we can tangibly touch and see and feel. Think about the love of a dog. I'm a dog owner. You're a dog owner. And you see that dog. He just looks at you or she just looks at you with those eyes of love and care. And this is an animal. But who created it? God created it. And when you see that love, how much more... (laughs) Does the creator of this creature love me? It's a sign. It's a symbol of the love of God. And Jesus was there in the wilderness in those 40 days without eating anything. He's all alone. But scripture says he was there with the animals. The animals were with him. He had the companionship of those animals to remind him of the love of his father. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard that anywhere before. You heard it first on the Insurgents <laughs> podcast. Um, I just I, I just wanted to mention the Apostle John, who self-identified as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yes. And, you know, I think sometimes we kind of um, attribute that he gave himself that moniker kind of... Um, as a tip of the hat to humility or, you know, all shucks, I'm, I'm not, you know. And the amazing thing about that is that John did not start using that reference until chapter 13 of his hmm. gospel. And by chapter 13, Jesus does not have many days left with the 12. Hmm. So I guess my point is by the time... By the time we get to chapter 13, John has spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week for about three years living in the presence of God. And it took that long of being in the continuous presence of Jesus 
in order for that love to finally and fully and permanently, irretrievably penetrate John to the point where he's not addressing himself that way because he's trying to be literary or cute or clever. Um, that was his identity. And yes. when you think about all the stuff that John did, right? He wrote mm. the Gospel of John, First John, Second John, Third John, Revelation, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he was an apostle. Mm -hmm. He was one of the quote-unquote inner circle, you know, one of the three. I mean... Yes. He had a lot of titles he could have drawn on for identity. Right. A lot of experiences he could have drawn on for identity. But at the end, after all of that experience, he goes to the self-identification title as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, I find that to be absolutely arresting. Well, it ties into his comment... In First John, we love him because he first loved us. And then his letter is all about the love of God. That's where we find out that God is love. And it's because of this revelation that he had of the love of God in Christ toward him that he was able to not only love the Lord, but to profess that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah. You know, it's embracing that love that God has for us that causes us to feel like we're special in his eyes. Yeah. We're loved. Yeah. And to be able to proclaim God is love to others. Yeah. You put that over against, you know, some things going on in modern day Christianity. When I was a younger man and a younger Christian, I remember going to this conference. It's like a five-fold apostolic type conference oh. and everybody was wearing a name tag but you didn't just have your name on your name tag you also had your title mm. so you know I would be over here standing in the corner and talking to some people and across from me would be standing John Smith apostle or next to him was you know Joe Jones prophet <laughs> the, the apostle name tags have a different color than the prophet name tags? It depended on whether you were a one-star general apostle, a oh. two-star general apostle, oh. a three-star. Interesting. But what I didn't see anywhere in that entire room was a name tag that said, John, <laughs> a disciple who Jesus loved. Yes. And you see how far afield we've gotten yes. on this. Yes. Um, I remember reading once in one of Brennan Manning's books, he said, define yourself as one radically beloved by God. Yes. This is the true self. Mm. Every other identity is an illusion. And, and it's an illusion because while I may actually function in some role within God's kingdom, mm -hmm. I'm not always going to be that. Right. You know, when the kingdom finally fully comes, there's not going to be a need for evangelists in the New Jerusalem. True. So True. if I'm staking my entire identity in Christ on being an evangelist or an apostle or a teacher or a prophet or a whatever, an elder, I'm going to be a bit naked when the consummation of the ages comes. But if I am a mm. disciple whom Jesus loved, and that is where I'm living from and operating from, I've got an eternal identity there. Mm. That's great. 
sometimes we're under a weight that we can't quite get off yes. with our own strength. That's true. I have an um, small number of brothers in my life, mm. uh, some whom who live in the town that I live in, some who live across the country, but we have relationship. And mm. I will call them, and if I'm under it, I'll mm. tell them I'm under it, and I need some encouragement, and I need some reminding about God's love and the love of God. And so I'll pick up the phone and call. You only actually need one other person like that in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have more than one, then you can count yourself doubly and triply blessed. Um, I have taken things that have meant a great deal to me that I've either read in the scripture or something profound that someone has said or written that speaks of the love of God, and I will put it on a post-it note mm. if I need to and put it up in my bathroom mirror so I see it as I'm getting ready for work. I'll put it in on the dashboard of my car. Um, and I'll say these things out loud. I, I think there is something about saying it out loud where you're taking a stand for these things when you're yes. not feeling the reality of them. So yes. I don't just read them silently. I actually say them out loud. Mm. Um, sometimes that even winds up issuing into just prayer or praise or declarations to the Lord, back to the Lord. And yes. um, you can sometimes climb out of a hole that way as well. Mm. So those are a couple of things that... Mm. I do. Sometimes I turn on the Insurgents podcast. Oh, <laughs> hello! You hear that, folks? Turn on the Insurgents podcast, and we have many, many episodes before this. I think this is ten thousand three hundred and fifty uh, episode wise. So it'll take you a while to catch up, but I think it'll do your heart and spirit some good. How was that for a shameless plug? <laughs> Well, it came from you, yeah. so... <laughs> it's my shameless plug. <laughs> For you. We'll, we'll accept it. <laughs> well, I think that covers it. We'll have in the show notes a link to Nikki V's book, Loved, period, that you might want to look at and give you some encouragement on the love of God. But it is definitely a large piece of living in the kingdom of God to know, embrace, live in God's unconditional love and care for you and me. Until next time, later. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the Insurgents has begun. Don't miss it. Thank you.